Uh, this week, I thought it would be interesting to start instead of end with the Patreon supporters. I want to start with the Patreon supporters. Oh, cool. Because we, after last week's uh, show, like always, we got some really nice messages. And uh, there were some people that were uh, very, uh, you know, we were talking about whether whether a thing is interesting because a, a person is doing it or because the thing is interesting. And uh, we had some really nice messages from people. I don't know if I passed those along to you guys or not, but, you know, saying that uh, there were several people that said, I just really like watching certain people make things, and it doesn't matter what they're making. And That's good they said know. that to, to us, which was nice, you know? I mean, it was encouraging that they just want to see us make things, whether it's something they're planning on doing or not. But anyway, all of the people at Patreon are awesome. I mean, well, I don't know. All the people that support us on Patreon <laughs> are awesome. I, I can't speak past that. Um, but big thanks to them. And and I'll give you the full list and all that stuff later on. But I wanted to shout them out because they're always at the end of the episode and they do mean a lot to us and they send us nice messages all the time and, and uh, leave nice comments and stuff. So big thanks to them for giving us feedback. It's super cool. What's going on with you guys this week? I got my go-kart running. I'm very excited about that. It looks awesome. I went for my first ride last night. Well, I, in, the, in the video, I don't show it. At one point, you see, in, in my Instagram post I posted last night, you see a cut, and then I drive back into the shop slowly. It cuts because on that. the way back, the brake broke. The brake pedal nope. broke. It didn't break off. It was in a weird, it was in a weird mechanic, it was in a weird mechanical configuration that when I stepped on it, it like mechanically flopped on itself and did no longer worked. And so I rolled slowly into the gutter instead of driving directly into the Cadillac or into my garage door. I just <clears throat> slowly rolled into the gutter and then my brother pulled me out and then I drove into the shop slowly and I rebuilt the brakes. Brakes are 100% infallible now. It's funny. I'm looking at the, I was looking at the mechanical connection. I'm thinking to myself, why is this not working? Why is it not making sense? Mm. And it was because I'm thinking of some interesting, unusual methodology to step on the brake sideways. And I said, okay, let me imagine this brake in a regular configuration where it's hinged from the bottom. If it's on a regular, and I knew exactly how to do it that way, but turning it sideways, I got down this incorrect path. So I just reimagined it as if it was on the floor, properly braked, just like a regular level, you know, hinge pin at the floor. And I redeveloped it. Now it's never going to break again. Like I said, it didn't. The brakes didn't <laughs> break. Just the mechanical connection to it. <laughs> ever, ever. Not until I hit somebody. If you need a backup, you could always uh, like put a string on the end of the spark plug uh, uh, wire and pull that. Oh off. yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> no, it's a good. It's a good idea because you know Crazy. if you lose, I have the open the, the floor of the whole go kart is wide open. So when you sit in it and put your feet, the floor is going, the, gr the ground is going underneath you. I thought it would be exciting. It also makes it easy to get in and out of because when you put your foot on the ground inside of it, you don't feel mm. like you got to kind of keep your balance. You can so Fred Flintstone right it into, too, right? You could Fred Flintstone it, but you'd have to have triple jointed knees to do that. <laughs> you'd have to like be able to touch your buttocks with the back of your foot, which I can't. Anyway. <laughs> I was going to use that little area right there and put like an emergency brake that just pulls and grabs the ground kind of as like a kill-all brake. Unless it flips you over. No, no, no. It won't. It won't. I, I would just, it would just be like a slow friction thing to the ground. You could be like, yeah. a, like a big metal cat's paw kind of thing that you just dig down into the dirt underneath you. Unless <laughs> you're on skeleton's hand. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Skeleton. 
Do you remember I, the I little I, plastic uh, bikes as a kid that had the uh, like the little drift brake thing on there? Do you remember oh, big oh, wheels? Yeah, the, the big yeah, wheels. The big yeah. wheels. And there was some sort of handle that you could jam up, and it would spin you around, right? Yeah, it would. Yeah, it was uh, like a brake right on the wheel, and so you pull that up, and it would just jam one of the wheels. But it only did one, so you would always you'd have to spin because. But yeah. my kids have one of those, but it doesn't have that brake on the back. Um, but it's instead of just the big plastic empty, you know, like blown plastic carcass like ours were. This one is is a really thick plastic body, and the front wheel is way more robust than the ones that we had as kids. Oh, really? And More then the whole handlebar assembly is like metal or something. So it's like a legit cycle, but it's just, you know, shaped like that. So they'll come down our driveway, which curves and goes downhill a little bit and then flattens out the bottom. They'll go all the way down this thing and get a lot of speed and then just yank that front wheel like 90 oh, degrees. in the back. T- 180. <laughs> yeah. They just spin around because those back tires are completely bald and they'll do a big fast spin and they're fearless about it. I would not be. But you know, you want to hear a stupid story. When I was a kid, I would go to my cousin's house a few towns away, and his big wheel. Now I don't know if he got it used or what, but his big wheel, it was so worn. The wheels were so worn out that the actual wheel surface was almost detached and ground away from the sidewalls, and they just barely worked anymore. Mm-hmm. And I first saw that, and I thought to myself, wow, he's got all that time to play and wear out the wheels. My wheels were like, <laughs> condition. Because I also lived on a busy street, so I couldn't use it as much, and I couldn't. Oh. He lived on kind of a dead-end side road, so him and his buddies were constantly doing 180s, and I thought to myself, he lives a good wow, life. How much, much more, yeah, how much more quality time did he spend on his big wheel than I'm spending on mine? His wheels are like yeah. ready to need replacing. So I grew up in the same neighborhood that I live now. Like, my parents built a house in this neighborhood. And so uh, we have kind of a circle, like the road inside the neighborhood. There's a big circle that you can walk or bike ride or whatever. And so there's not a lot of traffic on it. It's just people that live in the neighborhood. And when I was growing up, my big wheel, I had a Dukes of Hazzard big wheel. It was awesome. Bright orange. And I would ride all the way around as my parents walked. And then we got to the top of this one hill. Excuse me. This one hill. And you would go down this hill and right at the bottom of the hill... It, uh, it like, teed into a cross street. And so you had to stop at the bottom of the hill. You couldn't, I couldn't just go into the road. And so it was always like we'd ride this big circle, and it was nice and slow. And then the end of the walk was top of the hill as fast as I can and then stop as fast as I can before I went <laughs> into the road. I loved that thing, though. And then uh, the people that live next to us now when I was growing up, uh, they have always lived there. But... Uh, their son had a Knight Rider one. So, two of us, we had Knight Rider and Dukes of Hazard in the same neighborhood. Mm. It was pretty awesome. Mm. What a time to be alive. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the other day I saw, I was at Lowe's, um, and I pulled up to this truck, and on the back of the truck, like in the, the big window, you know, there was a an X-Men logo and a Transformers logo and a Thundercats logo. And I'm like, that guy right there, was born exactly when I was born. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can tell he's he's one of us. But did you um, start talking Klingon to him right away? <laughs> no Klingon. <laughs> Nobody knows Klingon. <laughs> um. So my family has been out of town this week. They left uh, last the end of last week to go to Florida. It was kind of a, a last minute trip, and I just had too much stuff to do. So 
I decided to stay here. And I have been working nonstop. Just last night, I finally sat down and watched a movie as just a, I need to take a break because I've been going super hard, trying to take advantage of the fact that, you know, I have free time. And it has settled on me that it's been a few years because of COVID stuff and lack of travel and then traveling with, you know, it's been a few years since I've been home alone for a week with like, yeah, I can be productive and I can do a lot of stuff. And it feels a lot different <laughs> at this age than it did a couple of years ago. I don't have the same steam. In, uh, I'm picturing you doing everything quicker. that that kid did in that movie. Like, mm-hmm. In Home Alone. It was yeah, like yeah. eating pizza Always. in my pajamas. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been like, you know, I, I was on the roof last week and I, I added ridge vents to the, to the roof of the house. And um, I've been just like moving furniture around and cleaning out the attic and cleaning out the garage and digging trenches and all sorts of stuff. Just it's crazy. But it's it's just funny because... I used to love those times when I was by myself and I could, I feel like I get a whole lot of stuff done and now I'm just tired. So. <laughs> Still getting stuff done. I'm just tired. Hmm. That's why everybody says, why do you stay up so late? It's because people stop texting me and calling me and asking me silly hmm. questions after like 10 o'clock. So I, from 10 o'clock, it's almost like I have lunch at noon or what? I usually have lunch at like three or four o'clock, honestly. And then... <laughs> I have like a little bite to eat at like nine or ten o'clock, and then it's like, okay, cool. Now it's like third phase, the third third work shift. It is great. Shift, I love shift. it. Huh? Third, third shift, the most the most uh, uninterrupted shift of the day. Well, I was also, you know, thinking about this time, and you know, like, oh, I'm going to be able to like, finally like sleep in, and you know, I can stay up late and work on things and everything. But now I have dogs, and those dogs will whine at six thirty. They don't Every sleep in single day. They do not. So I've had to adjust my schedule a little bit. I'm lucky my dogs sleep in. All oh, three what? of them will. My oh, three man. dogs will not get up. They won't get up until me and Taylor move around. Man. Absolutely. We'll stay in bed. If we stayed in bed until two, they would be like, okay, cool. We'll just do what you're doing, which is cool. <laughs> we don't get that at all. <laughs> yeah. Mine are no, still they are on a routine. Puppy, puppy phase. Hmm. Uh, well... Well, David, what have you been up to? So this morning, it is Wednesday, I just put out the Kirby drink stand video that we talked about like four nice. months ago. I, I sat on that video for a long time because uh, it, it had a bunch of failures and uh, I was discouraged. And then I had to shoot it in ways that I wasn't used to. And so I didn't know how I was going to edit it. So I just wasn't really excited about the edit. And then it turned out being totally fine. I just built it up into my head. So that video just came out this morning. And then we finally started cutting pieces and working on the electric piano. And that thing, I, I put that off for a while because I knew it would be a challenge. And then I started it. I'm like, this is not going to be a challenge at all. This is going to be amazing. And then the, the plan was to just take off one piece at a time, rebuild it, and then figure out the embellishments at the end. So it's, it's full of uh, vinyl uh, and, and plastic and it, like vinyl covered plywood and and plastic and it's all being replaced with walnut plywood and i got the top piece off and i cut a new piece and veneered it and it fit great and then i started then i was going to do the side piece and i would do this side piece put it on and then do the other side piece which has the electronics and then put that on and then work on the back and the front turns out the side pieces are all connected to 
the bottom piece, which is then connected to the frame. So I can't, I could no longer do the side pieces one at a time. The whole thing got really complicated and had to come all apart. But finally got started. It was one of those things like as soon as you, you keep putting it off, but as soon as you dive in, that's that's all you think about and that's all you want to do. So I'm working on that now. Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. And then... Um, also, at the same time, I'm filming, filming another uh, tool stand video. I need one. I wasn't going to film it because I've filmed plenty throughout the years. And then I thought, you know what? If I film it, it'll force me to get it done sooner. Yeah. So, It's funny. We were talking about that yesterday because I've, um, I've done a couple tool stands or like rolling cart that are all basically the same construction with different kind of custom things on it. And we were talking about project ideas and stuff yesterday. And... I have like two more of those that I need to make. <laughs> I'm like, how far do I have to space these out before it's just doing the exact same thing it, it's, over and over and over? So I, all, all mine are built out of plywood and they all have the same kind of construction. And I actually thought, well, what if I do this one different? So I started like looking to see what other people are doing different. And I'm like, nope, my way's still the best way for me. <laughs> so I'm just going to build it like I built every, every other one. Yeah, I, sh- I should probably do that too. I think uh, that's one of those things where we kind of talked about this last week, but you know, building a an organization thing or a cabinet or a tool stand, like there's they've been done to death. They've been done to death by me, plus <laughs> everybody else who's ever done them. But at the same time, like somebody who's coming along and looking for a tool stand or a cabinet for something, the more options they have when it comes to video, the better for them. Right, And they're going to pick the one that they want to watch based on, like I mentioned before, the person that they enjoy watching the most or a technique that they you know, see in the thumbnail or whatever. So there's no reason not to do it, um, but I'm still always hesitant to like, well, I've already kind of done that thing. I should probably try to do something that's a little more original. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a trapping that I, I don't need to fall into. But I have, a, I have a question. Tell me what you think. So the tool stand I'm building is 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 for my CNC. My CNC currently sits on a stand that was made for something else a long time ago. And so I want to rebuild it. And it now has to have certain storage underneath for a shot vac. And it also has the chiller for the laser. And so I'm rebuilding it. Do you think that most people who buy a CNC already have basic woodworking tools? Or do you think people who are buying CNCs are buying a CNC because they want to use that as their entire shop? It's a good question, and a lot of people ask me. In the beginning, when there was sort of the CNC revolution, a buddy of mine who runs a classroom, he's like, we're going to get a shop bot. I was like, all right, cool, but you're going to need a circular saw, you're going to need maybe a track saw or this. He's like, why do I need all that? I was like, are you going to buy every single piece of wood 18 by 24 inches, every piece of material 18, because that's what you're going to basically need as far as stock to put in the machine, anything that big or smaller. He's like, I didn't think about that. So then they got a table saw, then they got a band saw. And he was building the shop anyway, but once he got the CNC, it was the tipping point to then get everything else. So you do, I think you you. You can possibly, like I've seen people, we've all seen people build a business with just a laser cutter because a lot of the laser companies will give you those sort of support system where you can buy just a piece of material that fits that. I know X-Carve has done that over the years. They, they have their machine and then they sell all the stock that fits in their machine. 
but that's not quite as prolific as you see more with the laser companies. They sell, they tend to sell you bits and pieces of stock that you could stick in your machine. So you see more people with a laser cutter, and then everything looks like it was made on a laser cutter, which is fine. I mean, if that's yeah. their business. I could see, to your question, I could see both uh, very easily, like justification for saying, well, yeah, somebody. there's lots of people that only get a CNC for this. But when it comes down to it, I would think that the, most people would have at least some other tools before that for the reason that Jimmy said, but also that I think for most people, the idea of using a CNC is downstream from uh, from building something else and wanting to take it a step further, like building a sign. And, you know, I can either hand cut these letters or I could level up and get a CNC so that the letters were better. And so I feel like a lot of the customization stuff that a CNC would provide would be you know, downstream or secondary to basic tools, I would think. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought. The reason I ask is because if I'm trying to figure out how to approach the video part of this build, like building a CNC stand or, mm-hmm. you, you know, am, am I advertising to a bunch of people who don't have tools? Yeah. So maybe you could, is there a way to um, generalize the stand a little bit, at least in description, so that, you know, like, yeah. a tool, a stand for any tool or something like that, and you just happen to be using it for a CNC. Yeah, that's, that's actually my first thought. How I approach yeah. building tool stands, going from measuring to drawing and to, to making, so. Yeah. I've, I've got a similar situation where I've been working on a new design for lumber storage, and years ago I made this kind of, like, you know, like a rolling lumber cart. Lots of people have made versions of them, and they're very. Ours is not particularly different or anything. It's just how I did it, and I made it on wheels and made it about the size of a sheet of plywood, so that it could fit in a garage if somebody needed to. You know, like roll it in and out, but it's like so heavy because it's full of lumber. But this next one that I've got an idea for, I think it's really cool and would be much better for organizing the material that I have, all the different sizes of material. But it's going to take up more room. Like somebody, I don't think, would build this and put it in a garage. And so then I'm like, well, how how do I generalize this idea enough to make it useful for people who don't have the amount of space that I have? Because it's just not going to be interesting for people who have less than a decent amount of space. And so I'm kind of running into that same thing. It's like you don't want to just go for the lowest common denominator of functionality. Or maybe you do, and but it, that doesn't work forever. you know. And then you have to like level it up to something more specific to you for your workflow and for the tools that you have and space that you have. But then that kind of alienates or leaves out but it also, people who have a different setup. If you build something that's custom just for you that nobody else is going to make that there's the story. So then it's more story-based and then project-based. And people are going to see you problem-solve something and hopefully be inspired by that, that problem-solving process hmm. that they yeah, can a good u- point. use on their own projects. Yeah. Now, the counter to that is that we, we try to always... Anything that we build in the shop, we're like, well, shop projects are great for plan sales because people like to build things for their shops, mm-hmm. obviously. 
And so anytime we make something for the shop, like storage or organization or a cart or whatever, we try to make plans for it. And if there's something that's super specific or custom to my location and my needs, you know, plans are a lot less useful, less likely to be bought. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that's not a reason to not do the thing, but it's just, it's a consideration when we think about, well, how can we make this thing general, generalized enough that plans would be worthwhile for somebody to buy? Otherwise, they're just like looking at it for inspiration, or, which is fine. Yeah, that too, but. So. Hmm. Hmm. Jimmy, sorry, are I keep you muted? muting. I'm, I'm very coffee today. I'm sorry. I keep muting myself to cough, but oh. I think any. Shop project is inspiration. Every time I look at a shop project, somebody building shop storage or whatever, I'm not necessarily looking at what they're building. I'm looking at what they're building and how I could redesign it. Mm. So I think, you know, we were talking a little bit while, like, are those projects, I think we were talking off camera, are those projects worth pursuing? But because they all seem a little bit redundant. But anytime we do new shop furniture, we're doing something slightly different than before. You know, when I say we, I mean the community. So, and I think it'll just keep, you just keep re-inspiring. I have the big problem when I make shop storage, I make it and then I never use it. It's this weird thing. I'm always like, I I build a cabinet, like the cabinet that I made years ago, which is one of my bigger videos. It's the apothecary style cabinet with a bunch of drawers in it. Oh yeah. I made that and it sat in my basement. I never put one thing in it for like four years. When I finally Mm -hmm. got it upstate, I put it in the workshop and I filled it with all heavy stuff. And then last last summer during the TV show, there was a couple behind the scenes guys working on stuff like Jacob and, and, and Aaron. They were, they were working on stuff behind the scenes, getting ready for like the final shots. And they were always going through those hundred drawers looking for whatever. And a couple of the drawers had full of bolts. So when you open it up and slam it, that hammering knocked the whole back off the cabinet. <clears throat> I came in one day and like no one seemed to notice that the back of the cabinet was no longer in place. All the drawers were pushed in like an inch. And I was like, I, I lost my temper. I started yelling at everybody. I'm like, does anybody notice that your hammer, you hammered the back off of this cabinet by like opening? Because I could just imagine like the gang, the rush to like, oh, we're doing the final. We need a bolt. And I could see like guys just opening and slamming every drawer, looking for the drawer with the bolts in it. Because nothing's labeled, of course. And so the whole back. So I recently, that two months ago I pulled that it was very heavy I pulled it off the wall and reattached the back with screws properly and then reorganized all the drawers which is really painful for me I don't know why it's so easy and fun to make the thing but then when it comes to actually organizing and putting stuff in it it's, <laughs> I just leave it sit empty yeah years ago I made this beautiful metal cabinet with like wired glass doors for a Lincoln Electric video and it's in my shop it's in, in uh uh, Rob Rojas said to me, he goes, what do you want to do with this cabinet? I was like, I don't know, maybe we should put stuff in it. <laughs> it's completely empty. I never put anything in it. It gets down to like, you know, making things for a video and with all these good intentions and then just never following through finishing it up. Yeah. So, okay, let's jump to the other side of that because this is something that I'm dealing with right now. Um, where you have, so in, in that, but you just said in that case, you had an idea with good intentions you followed through, you did the thing, and then it was done, and you moved on to the next thing, right? So it didn't get used. So what about, how do you handle, <clears throat> man, my throat is messed up today too, situation where, 
for the lumber rack. We'll just take that as an example. I have a general idea for how this thing would be, what it would accomplish. And I think it's really cool. I think it's a little different than anything else I've seen. Um, but when it comes to, for me to put that on the schedule, for me to plan to do it, I have to figure out exactly how to construct it. So right now it's just a, it's a design idea. It's not a functional, you know, buildable thing. And I cannot seem to find the time or the focus to turn that generalized idea into a, I need this two by four and this piece of plywood and this thing to make the, you know, to put it there. And so I have several ideas like that that are stuck at the, like, here's a pretty good idea. I think that could do something. But at some point I have to sit down and put pen to paper and like actually figure out how it goes together and what the joints look like and how long the pieces are and all that stuff. And I can't, I can't seem to get myself. That's, I have the same problem. I, I think we all do. I think all creatives have that same exact problem where you have an idea and you figure out, I even said, I even remember when the chairman of my department said it in the lecture, like year one, very first, like getting to know everybody lecture in school of visual arts, Richard Wilde said, he goes, as creatives, we all think of every reason to avoid work. Even when we know we have a deadline looming, we just think of every reason to avoid work. And I think of him saying that 35 years ago every day (laughs) because I'm always thinking of ways to avoid work. You come up with a good idea and then you think to yourself, oh, yeah, but I have to make it. You know, let me go see what's on Instagram. (laughs) And you start scrolling, you realize an hour's gone by. You you know, you you use the excuse of I'm going to go to Instagram to see some inspiration on how to start that project. And then you put your phone down an hour later and you go, oh, I forgot to look up that thing. Let me see it again. And you pick your phone up and then you're on another jaunt. But what helps me most, and I've said it here many times, is I make the very first step. And if it's a lot of times it's related to video, I shoot the very first scene of me getting the wood. And then I get the wood. The perfect example for me most recently was the go-kart. I I don't know if I ever told this story publicly, but it was about three weeks ago. And Elm City Dave texted me. He says, what are you doing for the go-kart? I said, I don't know. I had sent him a pencil drawing like a month before of this like coffin shape. Really, really quick sketch that I did on the airplane going to see George Von Driska. So I did a quick little sketch. That was April 15th when I did that sketch. And couple weeks later three four weeks ago elm city dave says what are you going to do for the go-kart thing because you're going to build that coffin i was like meg i'm running out of time i think i'm just going to go buy one and modify it and then i get off the text and i look at my brother i'm like we should open a facebook market and just find a go-kart and my brother says that's not very makery of you is it zing yeah (laughs) i was like i go well i just don't he goes you got a pile of metal there because you can make anything you want he goes just start building it and he was kind of like the devil on my shoulder. And I was like, all right. So I said, the engine's right there. You do, because my brother's an engine head. I said, do me a favor, open the engine, see if it's got oil on it, get it started. I left, I came back. He had it bolted to the table and running. He's like, yeah, this thing's easy, easy peasy. It's a 212 from Harbor Freight. And uh, I, I looked around and I went and I got one and a half inch tube and I laid out the coffin shape on the table, still not knowing exactly where this was going to go. But once I laid out that coffin shape, and you could tell my excitement in my few Instagram posts when I just put the first one out, if you go backwards in time, that was like day one where I kind of attached the steering parts, which I didn't ever knew how to use, Ackerman, Ackerman, Ackerman. I never knew how to use the parts and did a little research. So 
that little thing of my brother going, that's not very makery of you, is it? I was about to go and buy one and modify it and paint it and you know, be stuck with somebody else's bed, bed project. But I started from scratch, and I'm really glad that I did. And it was just those few little bits and pieces of conversation which got me started. So long story short, I think if you make the very first move, say you're going to build something, go get all the wood, collect all the wood, look at the wood, and then that will inspire your next move and then that will inspire your next move. But that very first initial getting started is always the hardest part. You know, like opening up Illustrator and drawing a square. Mm-hmm. Like that's the first step <laughs> to making a logo. And then you like type out the word and you look at the word and then you copy and paste it 30 times in 20 different fonts and you look at it and you're like, that is the beginning. When you yeah. do that, then you're on your way. It's almost like you avoid getting in the car. By going, getting the materials, collecting them, putting them on the table, or at least a few main ingredients, that inspires the next move. So you have to, you have to basically defibrillate your idea at the beginning. Hmm. Break out the defibrillator, <laughs> put it on your temples, and pull the trigger, and <laughs> that will get you started. That's the hardest part of anything. It's yeah. just, I mean, it's the stupid thing that Mark Twain quote that is being attributed to me. It's not mine. The hardest part of any project is getting started. Yeah. It's funny. Just, so that's what you need to do. Defibrillate, yeah. defibrillate your projects. There you go. And we've talked about before, like, having, um, like, putting something on a schedule or, you know, giving it a, a deadline or having some sort of urgency will help you kind of make that happen it, it adds a momentum that you wouldn't have but if you had five days to do an emergency project you would still start doing it in the beginning of day four i don't think i would personally but yeah i, I mean <laughs> yeah i agree with the idea but i think that's one of those cases with this lumber storage thing where i just need to put it on the schedule and be like well that's when it's due so do with it as you will <laughs> you know but but i think i need to to do that um just so i can make it happen i've i've told myself this for years, even going back to to school, like I do better under I, I work better under pressure, and I don't know mm-hmm. if I've just convinced Most myself. Seem to. Yeah, I don't know if I just convinced myself that that's true, or if that is actually true. Hmm. I, mean, I think I think most artists that I've seen tend to work better under pressure. You end up pulling out more creative yeah. solutions to stuff. If you're lackadaisical and you're just kind of meandering through, you tend to kind of take an easy route, but even last night when I looked at that brake system, I'm like, not that there was any pressure on me, but I was just like, this is not right. There's something about this totally wrong. I got, I got to just cut it out. So I cut it completely out. I cut out the whole little brake linkage. I cut it out, and now it's back to zero. I was like, okay, let me think about this completely over. And there was no pressure there, but it felt like pressure because I challenged myself to be like, okay, you took a lazy approach. Don't do the lazy approach. Yeah. So Especially I with ha- brakes. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, with exactly. <laughs> things that exactly. we, that you need. So um, I think last week we talked about this in the after show, about the Carmagia and the door opening stuff. Was that in the after show? I think it was. I think it was, yeah. And so, I, was, I was inspiring. Oh, no, it wasn't. I think it was in the regular show, but I was telling you, don't, don't lean on modifying the door to correct the mistake. So since then, I um, – actually, that night, I went ahead and ordered a – uh, rolling body stand for a car. It's just like a, a square tube, you know, stand like adjustable stand that you can 
make it whatever footprint you need within a range, and it's on wheels, big, like, ridiculous casters. So I ordered this thing. It showed up really quickly, which was awesome. So by Friday, I had this cart put together underneath the Carmen Ghia, and I just decided, like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, I took your, your words of inspiration and caution and just said, I'm going to figure out whether I have this body done correctly or not. So I dropped it down off the rotisserie. It's still connected to the rotisserie, but it's not suspended anymore. So it's on this frame. Leveled the frame to the the uh, this stand to the floor, so I knew that I was working on a level surface across front to back, and just started like measuring everything I could possibly measure between the sides, you know, front to back, uh, across to get it square, it, just everything I could possibly. I've got to understand this, you know, and I don't really know what I'm looking for. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why I feel uneasy about it, but I've got to figure it out. So I also found that a good way to measure um, equidistant things on a car is with a laser measuring tape, because with an actual measuring tape, you have, you know, with unless you have like edge to edge, it's really difficult to get an accurate measurement, like a really precise measurement with a laser you can put it, like in my case, I put it up against the same spot on the door frame on each side of the car and shot the laser at the same spot on the other side of the door frame. And so you have a much more accurate measurement. So I was down to like 16th of an inch, you know, like measuring between the two doors. So that's a tip for anybody. Um, and I found that the two door openings were an eighth of an inch different. And so I was like, well... One of these is wrong, or they're both wrong. It's very possible that they're both wrong, but at least one of them is wrong. So I put the doors back on, found that one of them was rubbing and one of them was not rubbing. So I took the one that was rubbing and I cut out all the welds. And this is all off camera. This is just like me over the weekend. Like, I'm going to figure this thing out. So I cut off all yeah. the welds for the heater you channel. You have to sometimes just focus, laser focus yeah. on stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I, I had to undo a whole bunch of welding to move things an eighth of an inch apart, yep. which seems so stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, shouldn't you just be able to beat metal an eighth of an inch apart? And you probably could have. But anyway, so I cut this thing, added, like, I stuck a pry bar in there and just pushed the things away from each other an eighth of an inch and then just tacked a little bit, stood back and closed the door, and the door just shut. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> and I was like, Ah, it felt so good that I knew the door fit. Now, it's not, the gap is not perfect all the way around yet. You know, it's not sitting, uh, it's like kind of tilted in one direction. And that's all adjustment that you do with the door, with the striker and with the hinges. And, you know, so I wish that I could prove that it was going to be perfect. But at least now it closes. No rubbing. Yeah, it's not rubbing and it's lined up at the top. Good enough for me. And so... I only modified one side of the car. So I got this one side right, and the door would shut. And then I went over to the other side, which was already opening and closing correctly, and it was tight. So in moving one side, I've then moved the other side. And I decided, like I learned before, don't cut out too many things at the same time. So I'm working on one side of the car, and I'm going to get one side of the car finished, all of this rocker panel work and all this stuff, to where it is locked, it cannot bend and move anymore. And then I'm going to go do the same thing on the opposite side and make sure that they are, you know. But I'm, I was, I think I've found that I'm fighting too many battles at the same time, 
um, with the Carmen Ghia. I'm trying to adjust too many things that are affecting each other. And so part of getting that one little area correct and getting the door to shut was like, okay, now I'm going to focus really closely on this thing right here. And it helped. It helped a lot. And so yesterday I went out, or I guess Monday, I went out and got the rocker panel and the two body panels that touch it all fit into place, clamped in, and I stood back with the door in place and like it looked like a car. It was really cool. Like the gaps were all there. Everything lined up on the outside. And so then I started doing some like panel adhesive, got the rocker panels in place. Um, And then yesterday, for the first time, I scribed and cut two pieces of sheet metal, made a butt joint, and welded across the front of them. And it looks good, and it's right, and the curve is there, and there is a new panel on the outside of that car that was not there day before. And this it sounds like the montage for the beginning so of good. Act 3. So yeah. good. This is like the 80s montage. Yeah, yeah. coming back. Yeah. But anyway, all that to say, thank you for pushing me not to settle for I'll figure it out later. I'm still going to have a lot of stuff to figure out later. Like That's inevitable. You know, I've, I know that I have done things in the wrong order too much at a time, whatever, and I'm going to have to pay for that later. <laughs> but anything that I can get out of the way now... Um, it's been good. And and honestly, just walking away from yesterday with like a panel in place, it's not finished. It's not ground. It's not, you know, I have a lot of work to do. It's going to need some like body filler on top of it. <laughs> but it's a thing that's there that was not there before. I've replaced a panel on the car and that feels really, really good. Hmm. So I'm excited good. about that. And then and now, it, you're, and now you're better educated next time you go to do any other part. Oh, yeah. And it actually wasn't that hard. Like, I've been so worried about this, you know, butt welding two pieces of sheet metal because every time I've tried to weld sheet metal stuff, I just, I get in a hurry and then I burn a hole in it. And once you have a hole in it, then it's just like, ugh, it's a whole mess you got to figure out how to fill. And, and so I was really nervous about, you know, doing this, getting a, a, these two pieces to fit together well enough so that there are no gaps makes it less likely to burn through and I didn't blow a single hole through this entire, you know, this is like a 10 inch butt weld that I was doing and I didn't burn through any of it because I took my time and I cooled the welds and it felt really good, Nice, so, which is nice because I have a lot more <laughs> of that type of stuff to do <laughs> so you know. any filming along the way? Yeah, we, we shot yesterday. Um, so all of the stuff for the weekend of like changing the, you know, the inside stuff and like fixing the gaps, that was all off camera. But then we actually started filming about putting this panel in. This this next video is just about one panel. Just, just like learning how to do that kind of work on sheet metal. So yeah, we're filming it. And uh, there's something else. Oh, I ran out of welding gas twice while I was doing that yesterday. Oh. <laughs> so I ran out of gas on the welder at the farm and I was about halfway That's through so this. so annoying. <laughs> yeah. I was about halfway through this, this section that I was doing and I'm like, well, I have another bottle at the house so I'll take a break, go get that bottle, bring it back. And as I'm picking up that bottle at the house, I'm like, man, this feels pretty light. I don't know. I'm not sure how much is in here. The gauge says there's some in there but I don't know. And I got maybe 15 minutes of 
of welding and then that one ran out too and it was like 4 30 4 20 or something and the the welding shop closes at 4 30 so one of my things i have to do after we finish recording today is go get a lot more welding gas mm. so that i have what i need but oh here's another little thing i learned so i got remember we talked about the uh the weld through primer last week yeah yeah so the one i was using is called zinc weld and it's by a company called SEM, I think. Something like that. Anyway, it's called Zinkweld. And I have seen videos of people using that on two pieces of sheet metal and then using a spot welder, like a pinch welder, to pinch weld through it. That product with that welder on the right gauge sheet metal. I've seen it happen. So I went out to do the same thing for the bottom of the rocker panels. I've sprayed all... When I took these pieces off to un... You know, when I cut everything loose, I was like, I'm just stripping paint. I'm putting welder primer on everything so I know that it's ready to go and all this stuff. So I go to do the spot welder for the first time. And I'm testing it on some scrap that's primed with all this stuff. And it will not spot weld at all. Like I tried <laughs> different pressure. I, I sanded off the primer on two sides of the material put the primer together, put the primer against the welder. I tried out every permutation there, and it will not. Did you try not. holding it for a really long time? No, because you're supposed to not run the welder for more than, like, five seconds at a time. No, if you do it, because sometimes it just doesn't, sometimes your gauge is too thick, and you just hold it, and it just gets red, 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 then that's enough. Oh, no, this wasn't getting red at all. It wasn't sparking. It wasn't anything. Oh, it has to, like those, you have to get like a red spot underneath it. No, I know. I mean, I've done, I've yeah. tested the Did spot. Did you welder. get it done at all? Did well, so where I ended up was it, it won't work with that particular brand or something. Wow. And so I ended up drilling holes in the bottom of the rocker panel and just using a MIG welder and welding through. And that works fine. It's just a little bit more work. It actually wasn't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> So then I look over on my shelf, and I have another brand of uh, self-etching weld-through primer, and it's like brownish-red or something. And so I decided to try that one just to see if it was the same deal. And it turns out that one does work. You can pinch weld through that stuff. So, word of warning, <laughs> the, <laughs> the weld-through primer for... The zinc weld stuff works great with a MIG welder, I would assume with a TIG welder as well. I haven't tried that. But the pinch welder, it does not work. you got to use this red stuff. It's like a 1K, I don't know the name of that brand, but uh, it's the red stuff. So The red stuff. Yeah, I learned a new thing. But with the spot welder sometimes, I, I've always, a, a, I have a spot welder from Harbor Freight, and I've abused it by like, being frustrated that it's not working, so I just hold it. Hmm. I mean, you might blow your fuse, but if you have like higher amperage fuses, you'll be all right. <clears throat> I just hold it, hold it, hold it till that where it's touching turns glowing red, and then I know I have a good weld. And that might take fifteen extra seconds to do that. Hmm. So yeah, in this case, it didn't even seem like it was. You know, there's a little bit of spark when it start, when it makes that initial connection. Yeah, it wasn't doing like that. Like when you watch like a car that. manufacturer and they have the thing kind of on a big robot arm and it goes, they're sending thousands of oh yeah amps through it. You know, when you're at home, you got to hold it. It takes a little bit longer. Yeah, I think it's something about this primer 
or maybe it's the combination of that primer and that welder mm. or something. I don't, I don't know. Hmm. But anyway, I learned learned a thing about a thing for sure. So talking about something you don't want to do today, I don't know what the temperature is going to be today. It'll probably be like in the 80s, and I have to go and build a farm fence, a farm gate. We have our, a fence now around around about three acres of land in the back for horses, and we might be getting cows. Oh, what? The guys that are building the roof of our shop, they're building the roof of the new barns, the local group of local guys, they're farmers and builders, this self-sufficient little community. And he says, he goes, now that you're all fenced in, he goes, I have to get like a cattle gate on one entrance, and I'm going to build a wooden garden gate for this video for this weekend. And I don't want to do it. I certainly don't want to do it. And I can't even envision how I'm going to do it, where I'm going to do it. But I'm just going to get started, just like I just said, right after we get off. But they said, since we have lots of grass, he's like, I'll bring over like three or four cows. And let them graze and just chill back here if you guys are cool with that. I'm like, yeah, cool. So I'll get used to having a cow and see what that's all about. That might happen sooner than later. Wow. I, They're just a mile or two away down the road. So I have a terrible question, and I apologize, but I'm, I'm very curious. When yeah. a large animal like a cow passes away, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think there are <laughs> services that you eat it. Now, there's services, you know, farm services that come and deal with it. Okay. Because it's a big animal. Like a farm vet. Yeah. Well, I don't plan on killing them. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> Things can die without you killing them, <laughs> yeah. just so you know. I mean, it, no, I know. It does happen. The, we, uh, we'll see. I mean, this is going to be the beginning of farm, which is nice. It's kind of non-committal because uh, my buddy Eli's like, oh, we'll bring over a few cows. I'm like, all right, cool. That sounds cool. He's like, yeah, this way you guys can kind of get a taste of farm life. And we could have our cows grazing on some new grass because where they are, it's, mm. it's all eaten away. They, they have food and stuff for them. He goes, but no, they'll, they guess they'll have a great time out here. And then mm. I just remember years ago, get used to it. A, a giraffe passed away at the local zoo. And I'm like, somebody has to come and chop that thing up. It's too big. <laughs> what a terrible job. <laughs> huh. I mean, I've thought about like a horse or a cow, but a giraffe. That's a, yeah. You got to have like a, like a long bed truck or something to get rid of that thing. <sighs> Sorry. There is a comedian. Oh, I can't remember the guy's name now. There was a comedian that had this whole bit about driving down the road and he saw a dead horse in this guy's yard. And then he was trying to figure out what to do with, like, how do you tell somebody that they have to go get rid of this horse? And then what do you do with the horse? When You, you know, it's this whole big thing. Turned out the horse was just asleep because when he drove by later after telling a bunch of people, <laughs> the horse was walking around in the yard. <laughs> he was like, oh, I didn't know horses laid down to go to sleep, but apparently they do. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, what else? What else is going on? Anything? Anything else interesting coming up or working on? Or well, I'm having a lot of people are curious about this racetrack thing, and that is this this Sunday. I'm going to cough. Hang on. This Sunday, the this will be the third annual racetrack, and then a couple people started tagging Jimmy Speedway kind of as a joke. So I started running with the Jimmy Speedway event. Patrick Reynolds came up with the Jimmy Speedway, and. That's going to be Sunday, 12 to 6. If you're in the New York State area, you want to come by and visit. You don't have to bring a go-kart, but it seems this year there's going to be a lot more participants making custom go-karts. And I want it to be ultimately, you know that that crazy event, like I think I said this last time, the, the Red Bull event where you see guys with putting wings on and jumping off a dock. 
all kinds of crazy. And it's not really yeah. about flying. It's really more about the creative look. That's what I would hope this event would be. It's not necessarily about high performance. It's just about creativity. And it's not really about winning any race. It's just really more about make a go-kart that looks like a coffin or make a go-kart that looks like a Volkswagen bug or just make a go-kart. Find one, you know, gets, just to kind of get the, the juices flowing and the creative juices flowing. It just And it's also just a reason to hang out. And I'll probably have a couple of my... My car's there. I'll bring the Chevy trucks over if anybody wanted to look at them and touch them. And I, I was thinking about trying to bring the tractor down there, but that sounds like a pain in the butt. Also, the the uh, my the hearse needs a new water pump, which is complicated. It's like one of the most complicated parts. Like it's probably easier to change the engine than it is to change the water pump. Unfortunately, I have to take off the whole all these brackets on the front. So the 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 hearse runs and drives, but it's just getting prepared to be dismantled. I got a new water pump on uh, eBay. Straight away it showed up. So I just have to mentally prepare. It's, it's that same thing. I have to defibrillate my creative uh, mm-hmm. mechanics brain, which I'm not ready to do. Because that's, that's like a whole, like the minute you start unbolting things from an engine, you, lo- you know those wheels are going to be where they are for a very long time, or at least considerable long time. But the go-kart event is Sunday, July 3rd. And a lot of people are complaining that family stuff. So I moved it from the 4th to the 3rd as of last year. But going forward, a couple of people are like, why don't you do it the weekend before or after July 4th? So maybe I'll do that. Please. I would be more likely to be able to come if it were not on the 4th. Well, we're going to try and celebrate Bob's birthday. That's what it's about. Oh, that's right. Born on the 4th of July. Please have waivers out for people to sign. Yes. Yes. That was. I'm going to do like a... I asked my producer friend, I'm like, if I could just do like a general release, like if everybody reads the sign, basically nods to it. Like if you come in this area, you're released. You're, mm. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like a general, like you're here at your own risk kind of thing. You're your own responsibility type thing. I mean, it's private property. I'm sure you could probably put that up at the entrance, right? Yeah. And uh, believe it or not, most people don't even get on the go-karts. They just hang out. So. Yeah. The few people that do it's not like everyone's like let me take a ride let me take a ride and yeah maybe i'll make people yeah. wear helmets go-karts are stupid they are dangerous i'm sure that's why my buddy's like we can make that go fast i'm like i'm sure it goes fast enough. I, don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to be rip roaring around i'm fine yeah i can get in my chevy truck and do 100 miles an hour really fast i'm not worried about doing it yeah. on the ground with yeah. nothing around me cool so, yeah, so that's, uh, like I said, I want this event to be more just like a hangout and there's going to be you know, the idea of people bringing things to swap. I have a bunch of buckets of tools I'm going to give away to anybody that wants them, tools and parts. Rob's been making a big pallet full of junk that's just freebies. So it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. I'm like a little hesitant to really promote because it's just going to be like a couple of hours of like a fan hangout, a few hours some pictures, some video, and then everyone's got to leave. Yeah. <laughs> then you got to go. You don't have to go home. There's going to be a point in the day where Jamie's going to be like, all right, go home. Yeah, I'm an old man. <laughs> Time like, for my it. nap. I'm done. <laughs> yep. Time for my nap. Um, speaking of upcoming things, I don't know if we talked about it on here or not, but the Louisville Maker Fair is September 10th, which is still a ways away, but they're actually planning it, you know, and all three of us are going to be there. These two jokers have committed to coming to Louisville 
and we're going to do like a probably live podcast there, maybe some other stuff. I don't know. We haven't really figured out what all we're going to do, but it's going to be a time when the three of us are all together, which is really cool. It's been years. It has been. Yeah. Yeah. At least three years. I'm contemplating driving down. It's been a while, but I think I'm going to drive. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. So if you are in even remotely the area, like anywhere close, it's one day only. It's a Saturday afternoon. Um, it's a it's put on by First Build, and they do a great great job with everything. So, you know, make your plans now. By the way, the, it's is it, it's going to be at First Build the parking lot because a touch to it is is the, the university speedway the university speed shop. Well, I don't know if their last time they didn't have it there. They had moved it a little bit further out, so they had more room. Oh, and well. Yeah, the one that you were at, the last one with the big bandsaw, that wasn't in the same place. Right, that's right, that's right, yeah. that's right. That was in a parking lot off. I forgot about that. But yeah, and remember I, the first one where, your, where I met your mom, your mom and dad came to that one? Yeah, yeah. And at the, at the actual thing, they had the speed shop. So there was a, like an engineer, I forget what it's called. It, it's a speed uh, school, engineering school, yeah. That's it, yeah, the speed school. And they had the students had a couple of go-karts there, and they would let me drive them, and they were very scary because <laughs> they're all about performance. <laughs> yeah. And I ripped around the parking lot of one. I was like, okay. I, 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 I've gone fast. They're like, no, hit it. I'm like, no, I've gone fast enough. It's really <laughs> yeah, fine. I believe you. And like yeah. I said, it's all about performance. It's not necessarily looking like a clown car. It's about performance. So anyway, it's going to be a good time. Go ahead and make your plans. You know, come hang out with us. It'll be cool. And if there's a bandsaw, if somebody can get me a bandsaw there, I'll, I'll just stand at the bandsaw and cut stuff out. Also, we're going to need a topic for the podcast, so bring your topics. That's true. I'll do my clown act. <laughs> it would Okay, an entire hour of us trying to juggle. Just taking turns, Ooh. the three of us trying to Ooh. juggle, doing clown stuff. Sounds worthwhile. Um, you guys got anything else you want to cover for, I think, our Patreon supporters? Again? Mm-hmm. Again. Again. Well, big thanks again to everybody over at Patreon, especially our top supporters like Corey Ward, Albers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, You Can Make This Too, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks. This is a leaking. <laughs> You're being distracting, Jimmy. Rich at Lowen Designs, Odin Leather Goods, and Full Steam Designs. <laughs> but also, uh, Mike Wagner. He's somebody else on the man for... Poor Mike's getting dripped on. There's, there's a <laughs> leak in here. Big thanks, everybody. And if you want to help us out, if you want to get the after show, go to patreon.com slash making it. Jimmy, I think it should be up. your goal to try to break Bob every time he does that read. That sounds like a great yeah. idea. <laughs> Just be careful. Eventually, I'll get annoyed enough that dad voice will come oh, out. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> oh, That's enough. <laughs> Uh, you guys got anything cool to recommend this week? I've got two. Yeah, I want to. I want. I, I was going to say. Whoa. I'll bring up quickly. Just there's like a little. Uh, I know people are going to expect us to talk about this controversy about this particular thing that's going no, they're on. Not. We don't talk crew. about controversies. So I'm not going to bring it up. But if you're interested <laughs> in a controversy, go listen to another Woodshop podcast with Daniel Dunlap, Mike Coffee, and Pete. Um, you guys will catch up on the latest woodworking controversy that is overtaking <laughs> woodworking the Instagram drama. world. Yeah. 
that was fun. But those guys are cool, and and they had us on a few months ago when the show first came out, and we had a lot of fun with those guys. We met them down at WorkbenchCon a few times. So check out another Wood Shop podcast. Let me make sure I'm saying it right. Another Wood Shop podcast. That's it. I always want to say another Workshop podcast, but there's a dog. Cool, David. You have I have two just in case I don't have one for next week. So last night. Uh, That's not how it works. <laughs> um, a listener, Justin, sent over. I'm totally prepared. Sent over this video where Iron Trap Garage. They had a garage that was basically almost level with the ground, and then they built a shop on top of their shop. And I, I haven't watched the whole thing. I kind of skimmed through it and thought that was extremely interesting. So that is some something I'm going to watch later today. And then the other one is Architectural Digest put out another video called Two Designers Transform the Same Target Dresser. So two different furniture makers, designers take a target dresser and turn it into something cool. And I really, really enjoy this series on, on this channel. Cool. I'll check that out. Um, so mine is a show that I ran across on Netflix and I've only watched the first episode. Can't speak to the rest of them, but do you remember the show I told you about a long time ago called home game where it was like weird sports that are like local or regional sports? Sure. I don't recall. Well, then I guess I have two to recommend. The first one is home game. It's a documentary series on Netflix and it's all about, each episode is about a local sport that only happens in – they don't all happen in one place. Most of them only happen in one place. The first episode is the best one, and it's about a game called Calcio Storico, I believe, which is like historic soccer, I think, translated. And it happens in Florence, Italy. It is a game that happens once a year, once every two years, between the four quarters of the city. So there's a team per quarter. There's like 25 people on each team, and the game is all 25 people being on the field at the same time, and it's a combination of soccer and MMA fighting. It's crazy. (laughs) 25 people, 50 people just fighting, and then they're trying to get a ball down to the end of the thing to get a goal. It's it's bananas. You should absolutely watch the first episode. Where, what country is this video? Which, this is, this is, is in this Italy. From? This is in Florence, Italy. <clears throat> um, that episode is, is it's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And these people don't get paid for this. It's just like a pride. Like, I was born in this part of the city, and I have pride for that part of the city, and I'm going to train all year and then end up with, like, broken bones and... It's crazy. But it's anyway, like guys, home, uh, the running of the bulls, like that's like a crazy yeah, thing. Yeah, right. So Home Game, that show is about that type of thing, about like the running of the bulls. So there's an episode about um, the Scottish Games. That only happens in one place. There's an episode about this uh, place in, I believe it's Indonesia, but I don't remember exactly, where they do um, drag racing with water buffalo, pretty much, like in a, in a, <laughs> like a water, like a rice paddy. They have these sleds that they ride behind a water buffalo, and they just drag race to the other end. There's one where they play this game in this, like, big field with two buckets, and they ride on horses, and the instead of a ball, they have, like, a dead goat. And so they're trying to throw the dead goat in the bucket. It's 
It's a, it's not actually a dead goat anymore. It used to be. Now it's just like a furry thing. <laughs> it's a cool show, but <laughs> it's all about these weird sports that are you know about the local culture. Local. So that's one show. That was what I recommended a long time ago. I found another one that I think is very similar, uh, and I've only watched the first one. It's called We Are the Champions. And so this first episode uh, is the dialogue, like the the narration is way over the top. I kind of rolled my eyes at it a whole lot because it's intentionally silly, and it's Rain Wilson doing the narration, so it's whatever. The first episode is about (laughs) this place in England where they do cheese rolling. So there's this hill that is more than 45 degrees. Oh, and they got to roll it up. No, no, no. They start at the top with a bunch oh. of people, and they have a wheel of cheese, and they throw the cheese down the hill, and they all chase it. And whoever gets – they don't even try to catch the cheese. They're just chasing it. And whoever gets to the bottom first wins and gets to hold up the wheel of cheese, the I, end. People break their legs and stuff doing this, right? I think I've seen this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Far worse than yeah, yeah. and so you this can't keep up with the body that wants to fall down the hill faster than you can run. Crazy it. looking. These people have no fear. <laughs> they just they start running and then they just tumble and they roll and they flop and they bounce and they and there's a bunch of them. And the first shot of this, you know, I read the description for it. And I'm like, oh, this will be kind of silly. And then the first shot of the video, they you're you're overhead looking down at this hill, and so it looks completely flat. You can tell that there's that there's a variation, but you can't really see it because you're directly overhead. There's like drone shot or something. And as they're doing the intro for this show, the camera pans back and down toward the landscape. And so you see the hill come up in front of you and then the ground just drops away from you. It's a really cool effect. And you get an idea of how steep this hill is. You're watching it like come out of the ground kind of. It's really crazy. But... The whole show, this episode, is about the event, but it follows this one woman who has won this race three times, and she wants to do it again. And she's talking about how she loves, you know, wilderness, and she likes to do crazy things and whatever. And then she just, like, pulls her shirt over her shoulder, and you can see her collarbone just... It's like, this is from... Because I broke my collarbone last year, and it's now forever dislocated, and I'm going to run again this year. Like, how do you how do you win? Is the, f- the first broken up body to get to it's the nobody end. first wins. person to the bottom? Nobody wins. <laughs> there's a line of there's a, a shot of a guy with a bag of flour, and he's walking across the bottom of this hill, dumping flour. He makes this really vague line, and it's the first person to cross the line. <clears throat> Does the cheese have to be on the other side of the line too? The cheese definitely gets there before everybody else. The cheese runs. At like eighty miles an hour, they said. By the time it gets to the bottom, it's going eighty miles an hour. So when you when you get to the bottom, do you have to claim your cheese? No, no, no. They give you the cheese. <laughs> they help you up. So the make sure just... that, make sure that you're okay, and then they hand you this cheese, and you have to hold it up above your head, and they take. A but picture. those cheese wheels are very expensive. <clears throat> I mean, if it's a if it's a Romano, it could be two, three thousand dollars worth oh, of cheese. I, that's what you're worried you about. Get to keep the cheese. Yeah. Well, I'm just like, who, does the cheese get left at the event? <laughs> so the reason I thought about this was because earlier you were talking about the um, the uh, go kart thing and about the the waiver, and they have a fence around the whole bottom of this thing, so spectators are behind a fence because if the cheese <laughs> comes down the hill and hit, were to hit somebody, they don't would... want to get cut by the cheese. No one wants to get <laughs> cut by the cheese. No. 
Anyway, so they have like signs around saying that you're at your own risk and they want people with kids to sit off, you know, to the side so they don't get hit with the cheese log and cheese wheel, whatever. Anyway, mm. it's a pretty fun mm. show. So this is what you do when the family goes away. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> There's that and then last night I watched True Grit for the first time. I'd never actually seen True Grit. I so. watched the new the new one or the old one? Uh is the newer one, yeah. I watched Norm McDonald's Dirty Work from 1999 last night oh my goodness Mm -hmm. that's uh uh it's so bad that everybody should watch it (laughs) like nobody can it's it's really bad and i think they know i there's got to be some sort of behind the scenes documentary of this movie because it's it's just awkward and horribly horribly acted and it's adorable it's (laughs) it's so good Interesting. Artie Lang talks about that movie constantly because it was like his first big movie that mm. he did with Norm. And that's how him and Norm became friends. So I hear all the behind the scenes stuff if you're a Stern fan. He's been talking about it for years. Cool. All right. Well, that's all I got. You guys got anything else? <laughs> Said if you come to the racetrack event, you come at your own risk. And you have to bring a cheese wheel. <laughs> yeah. You got to wear a cheese wheel on your head. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Later.